morning, everyone. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 12 and following of 1 Peter chapter 4 this morning. Now, last week, we saw that Peter calls us to something that seems rather counterintuitive. As you remember from last week, he called us to serve in the strength that God supplies and not the strength that we supply, that we are called to serve in our weakness. And in our weakness, strength will arise. And like manner, this morning as we turn our attention to, cha- or to yes, chapter 4, verse 12 and following, we see something also counterintuitive that joy and glory in the Christian life comes about through suffering. You see, we think that suffering is what we need to avoid to bring about glory and joy in our lives. And yet we'll see in our text that Christian suffering is the very thing that God brings into our lives that we might have deeper joy in Him and might know the glory of Christ. So hear now the word of the Lord. Beloved, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. This is God's holy word for us, His people. Let us go to Him in prayer. Father God, as we come to this topic of suffering and hardship, Lord, I ask that You would give to us Your Spirit that we might not just understand it with our minds, but that by the power of Your Spirit, our hearts might be changed by the truth of Your Word. And in the midst of our hardship and suffering, we might look to Christ. We pray it in His holy name. Amen. In the introduction to his book, The Gift of Pain, Dr. Paul Brand illustrates the horror of a painless life. You see, a four-year-old girl had been referred to him for treatment. She had horribly injured her feet and ankles. However, as he examined this young girl, he was surprised that she did not once wince in pain as he probed her wounds. She seemed to be rather enjoying herself, despite the fact that she had lacerations that were so severe that her bone was exposed in several places. The mother described how her daughter continually injured herself without any apparent discomfort at all. 
She would bite her own finger. She would bite her tongue and feel nothing. She would sustain a foot injury or a burn and have no reaction. You see, this girl was perfectly healthy, except she had no sense of pain. She could feel pressure, she could feel movement, but pain was not a sensation that she ever experienced. And without the gift of pain, this child was slowly destroying herself. You see, rarely do we think of pain as a gift. For the most part, we think pain is something to be avoided. I mean, who enjoys stubbing their toe? Or who craves the pain of a burnt finger? And beyond physical pain, who enjoys workplace tension? Who wants to have marital conflict? Who wants to struggle parenting rebellious children or having overbearing parents? And even the promise of Scripture seems to point us in this direction of pain avoidance. For in the new heavens and the new earth, the promise is that Christ will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Nevertheless, presently, pain still exists. And even though it will one day be ended, it still has a meaningful purpose in this life. A purpose that we see in our text leads to joy and glory. In our passage for this morning, the Apostle Peter is seeking to inform the church on this purpose of suffering in the life of a Christian. That is, he's explaining the gift of pain for those who are in Christ. And what we will see is that despite what we might believe, the way to joy and glory for a Christian is through the path of suffering in Christ. So what do I mean by Christian suffering? Well, in our passage, what we will see is six marks of Christian suffering which lead to joy and glory. The first thing that we see is that Christian suffering must be rooted in a knowledge that you are loved by God. If you would, look down at verse 12. Look at the very first word that occurs in our verse. Peter begins by saying, Beloved. Before he proceeds with his discussion on suffering, he grounds every Christian's identity in the love of God. You see, if he is about to go and discuss what it's like to suffer as a Christian, the pain that will be brought into our lives, we must first be rooted in this reality that we are loved by God. The one who has received love from the Father is the one that he is addressing. Peter continually uses this term throughout his letters to describe the church. For no greater love is there than that one would lay down his life for his friends. God's word teaches us in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a propitiation for our sins. You see, the identity of a Christian is so defined by the love of God in Jesus Christ that our name, what we are called by, is beloved. And before we go forward in our discussion on Christian suffering, we must be firmly grounded in this identity. 
If you are in Christ, if you have faith in Him, if you have received forgiveness through His shed blood, then you have assurance of God's love for you. You are His beloved. He bought you. He caused you to be born again. And therefore, whatever suffering you endure in this life is rooted in and flows out of God's love for you. Whatever struggles you endure, you must endure with confidence that you're not being punished, but that this suffering is a reflection of the Father's love for you in Jesus Christ. For Christian suffering is the suffering of one who is loved. Second, every Christian must expect to be tested through suffering. Look at the rest of verse 12. There it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. You see, every Christian must expect that God will put them through trials to test the genuineness of their faith. The word fiery trial that is in our verse is connected to the idea of a refiner's fire, a crucible that burns away impurities. And as the text says, that trial comes to test you. Christian suffering is suffering that God employs in our life to test our faith, to burn away the impurities of our faith and to reveal our love and trust in Him. Now I know that there are those who are surprised to hear that God might test our faith through suffering. It doesn't seem to match what we've been taught about God. Modern Christianity, by and large, has given itself over to a commercialized version of the faith that says something along the lines of, God wants you to be happy, God wants you to be healthy, and therefore if there is pain in your life, it's because you don't have enough faith, it's because you've sinned, it's because Satan has a stronghold in your life, and something has gone wrong in your life, that's why you are going through this hardship. Statistics show that young people, That the generation that we have just raised see God as a pathway to successful, stable, happy lives and the church as the vehicle through which their happiness is transmitted. And when they are not happy, they leave. And therefore, we are surprised. We are dismayed. We are unprepared when suffering comes to us and we think that it's strange. We have some suffering in our life, a hardship in our life, and we think, God, what have I done wrong? Why have you brought me here? This lie comes under many names and in various forms. But whenever the message of suffering is vacated from the message of Christ, then we no longer have faith in Christ crucified. We have idolatry. For we only want God if He gives us what we desire. But the gift of attested faith, the gift of God's rod of discipline that drives out sin in our lives, the joy of a refining fire that burns away the impurities of our hearts to reveal the genuineness of our faith that we might know more of God. So don't be surprised when hardships come into your life, when your marriage struggles, 
when you're diagnosed with cancer, when jobs are lost, when miscarriages occur, when car accidents take the lives of our sons, when our daughters are mistreated by their husbands, when we read in the news that in the past 24 hours there's been two mass shootings here in America. Don't be surprised when hardship and suffering comes, when mental illness comes into your family and destroys your peace. Don't be surprised. For those who are in Christ, Those who are beloved of the Father, our suffering is not without purpose. It is not without meaning. For God in His sovereignty is giving us the gift of pain that we might feel our need for Him and His salvation. For Christian suffering is to be expected, an expected test of God. Third, Christian suffering is marked by our union with Christ and His suffering. Look at verse 13. It says, But rejoice, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Throughout God's Word, we see this relationship between Christ and His people that we call union. What that means is is that by the work of the Holy Spirit, every Christian is joined to Christ in such a manner that his life becomes our life. The righteousness of his life becomes the righteousness of our life. His death to sin on the cross becomes our death to sin on the cross. His resurrection and ascension mean that we too have risen to new life. And it means... That if we are joined to Christ, when He is revealed in His glory at His second coming, that we too will receive the blessing and joy and gladness of that event. To have faith in Christ is to be joined to this path of life. A path to glory and joy at the revelation of Christ. And yet part of that path The path that Christ took in this world was the path of suffering. And therefore, if we desire to share in the benefits of our union with Christ, we must also share in the sufferings of Christ. As Paul says in Romans 8, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. You see, we can rejoice in our sufferings now because it is a sign that when Christ returns, we will have fullness of joy and gladness. It means if we suffer with Christ now that we are joined to Him and when He returns, we will receive the blessing of His coming to us. Now we have to be very clear. Our suffering does not earn us this glory to come. It's not as though we are building up credit with God through our sufferings. No, it is revealing, it is witnessing to the truth that we have been joined to a suffering Savior and therefore we will be joined to a triumphant Savior when He returns. You see, Christian suffering is not suffering that we do alone, but in union with Christ. Fourth, 
Christian suffering will bring the present blessing of the Spirit. Yes, we can have joy in our suffering because there is a future hope of glory. But there is also a present comfort of the Spirit in our suffering. Look at verse 14 of our text. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. You see, within the context of suffering, suffering as a Christian, suffering on behalf of being a Christian, suffering in our lives as Christians, the Holy Spirit has a special ministry of blessing. When we look at the prospect of suffering, we can often become discouraged. We can doubt ourselves and believe that there's no way that we can endure the hardships with which others endure. You read accounts of missionaries who willingly suffer for the sake of Christ in the proclamation of the gospel, and you think, there is no way that I could do that. There is no way that I could sustain under that pressure. Or you look at a friend or a family member with a debilitating disease, and you struggle and you think, how can they do it? How can they hold on to their faith? How can they remain faithful to God in the midst of their struggle and their pain and their hardship? But the promise of God's Word is that as we endure Christian suffering, as we look to Christ in our union with Him, as we look forward to a future hope of glory in Christ, that the Spirit of glory and of God will be presently with us. That He will bring us strength. That He will bring us comfort. That He will bring us fellowship. That He will bring us through the hardship of the suffering that has come upon us. That there is a special ministry of the Spirit to those who suffer now. You see, it is in those moments of intense hardship and pain that we most poignantly taste and see that the Lord is good It is when the world and all of its glory is stripped away from us that we can experience the satisfying glory of the Spirit and know that our faith in God is true. Now this is just my opinion, but I think that the worst observatory in the world has to be in Athens, Georgia. I'm sure when they built it, it was probably fine. But when I took astronomy there in 2001, it was so filled with artificial light from the campus and from the town that you could barely even see the moon when you went up to this observatory. There was so much competing light that you could not see anything around. We went up and you're supposed to find a constellation and I just couldn't find it because it was so obscure. And in our lives, the glory and the joys of this world can blind us to the glory of God. They can obscure our vision of God. But when the joys of this world are stripped away from us through suffering, then we can experience, then we can see the greatness of the glory of God and taste and see that He truly is good. And we don't need all of these outward things to be satisfied and filled. Fifth, Christian suffering is not brought about through our sinful actions. 
what I mean is that when we bring the wrath of others upon us because of our sinful behavior, that is not Christian suffering. Look at verse 15. It says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. You see, it's not Christian suffering when it is suffering that a Christian brings upon himself through such sinful actions. Murder, theft, evil doing, meddling. They will all bring about relational tension and suffering and we can't expect the blessing of God's promises and suffering when we abandon the way of Christ and the law of the Spirit. In particular, within the church, I think it's very important that we are conscious of the last warning against meddling. Now I hope that I know most of you well enough that you're going to avoid murder. Hopefully theft isn't something that's high up on what you are pursuing. Hopefully you're running from evil doing. But so often we do bring suffering upon ourselves through the sin of meddling. Of getting into other people's business. What we might call gossiping. Spreading disunion among the body. And then we wonder as we come into the body, why is it that I have such relational tension within the body of Christ? Why is it that I'm struggling to make friends with people? Why is it that I'm suffering God? We cannot hope for the blessing of God when we bring suffering upon ourselves through our sin. For Christian suffering comes upon us when we pursue the path of Christ. And finally, to suffer as a Christian, we must suffer for the glory of God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, very familiar text, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And included in all is suffering. Look at verse 16. It says, If anyone suffers as a Christian... Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. How do we do that? How do we glorify God in the midst of our suffering? Well, I think that the example of Job is helpful here. We read that after losing his family, after losing his fortune, Job arose, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, he fell on the ground... And worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You see, to glorify God in the midst of our suffering means that we are willing to submit to the providence and the sovereignty of God over our lives. It means that we are willing to submit to God as God and say, God, you are the one who has given me anything that is good in this life and you are the one who takes it away. It is your prerogative to give. It is your prerogative to take. And whether you give or whether you take, no matter what comes in my life, you are still due honor and glory and worship. For you are God. And therefore... When we come to the place of suffering in our lives, we give honor to God because He is the one who gave and He is the one who takes away. It's easy to worship the Lord when you have health. 
when you have peace, when you have a full bank account. It's very easy to give glory to God when you win the football game. When the announcer comes and puts the microphone in your face and you say, oh, all glory to God. Well, that's easy to say glory to God when you won the game. But what happens when you're sick or when you're broke or when you lose the game or when you lose the job? Are we then willing to worship God? Are we then willing to give glory to God, to say all glory be to God, even though I lost, even though I'm sick, even though I'm broke, even though I have cancer, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, for he has the right to give and he has the right to take. He has the right to bring ease and he has the right to bring suffering. And if ease, we praise his name. And if suffering, we give even more praise To His name. You see, Christian suffering comes to its finest focus when we receive hardships from the hand of God in faith and trust in the love of God for us in Christ. And we say, God, You have given to me and You have taken away and I worship Your name. So what is the gift of pain? Well, it is the gift of sensing that something has gone wrong. Right? This is why you aren't supposed to eat after you get your mouth numbed up at the dentist. An experience I'm sure most of us have had at some point in our lives. You go, you get a filling, you get numbed up, and he says, don't eat, right? Why? Because you won't be able to tell the difference between the chicken nugget and your tongue. And if you start biting down on your tongue, there's nothing there to tell you something's going wrong. Stop it. You see, pain lets us know that something is not the way that it is meant to be. Dr. Brand reminded us that in our physical bodies, we need pain to warn us that something is wrong. If we don't experience pain, we will continue to injure ourselves until we are eventually destroyed. And in the same way, pain and suffering in this world is a warning that something is not right. It's a sign that something is wrong with this world. And if it did not hurt when a spouse died, we might be deluded by the lie that death is just a normal part of life. But the pain of loss and suffering tells us that death is wrong. When our marriages begin to be filled with conflict and they fall apart. If that didn't hurt, we might not see how wrong divorce is in the sight of God. If we had no sense of loss, no sense of violation, when a thief came into our home and took our things away, we might not see that theft is a sign that this world is broken. If it never hurt to be sinned against, then we might blindly walk into eternity believing that our sin has no eternal consequences whatsoever. But pain is a gift because it warns us that sin is evil, that this world is broken, that death is an enemy to be defeated and not a cycle to be completed. 
You see, pain is a gift because it causes us to look to Christ. It causes us to see that He is the physician that we need to heal our souls. He is the balm that we need to be mended. He is the Savior that will defeat sin, that will defeat Satan, that will defeat death. Pain will end one day, but not until sin and death are put to an end. The disease must first be cured. But until that day, we need pain to warn us, to drive us every day to run to Christ and to be healed by His power. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray to our great God. Father God, we come to you now in this time. We thank you because you are a gracious God who have given us gracious and good gifts. But we praise you, God, because you are also the one who takes away. You take away not out of vengeance, but to discipline the son and the daughter that you love. That we might see that it is not in the gifts that you give that we are satisfied but it is in You the Giver that we must be fully satisfied. We pray, O oh God, that You would drive us to Christ. And I pray, God, for I know that even this morning there are those who are suffering hardships that I cannot even conceive. I pray, O oh Lord, that You would give them the grace of Your Spirit, the comfort of Your presence, and they might know the joy and the glory of Christ. For it's in His name that we do pray. Amen.